Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Weedcast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. By the way, you can also follow me on threads. Also, at Rick Buecher. Uh, I know Summer League, NBA Summer League, has started, and I do have some thoughts about Victor Wembenyama in particular, and... Uh, what we're seeing in general and I'm going to get to that in the very next episode and that episode will come out quickly because I'm already formulating my thoughts on that but I wanted to get this one out of the way first because I've been thinking a lot about the state of the game of basketball as it is taught and played here in America these days and why despite the availability of personal coaches, the network of AAU teams and tournaments for every age all around the country, instructional videos readily available via the internet and YouTube. And yeah, I know that's probably, that's probably redundant. Uh, The heightened competition to land collegiate athletic scholarships, the access to facilities that provide not just basketball courts, but state-of-the-art equipment and weight training and agility drills and And you got sports medicine treatment for recovery. Despite all that, the quality of games appears to be deteriorating. And it's especially showing up when we play internationally. Sometimes it might be hard to gauge by watching the NBA or the G League or Summer League. But when we play internationally, And we've got teams from countries that are the size of some of our smaller states beating us. There's something to be concerned about. Think about that. Imagine that a team composed of only the talent born and developed in, say, Alabama smoked a team comprised of the best talent from the other 49 states. We'd find that rather extraordinary, wouldn't we? And yet, that is what is happening on the global stage to us 
on a fairly regular basis now. I don't want to take you all the way back to the early 2000s when we suddenly were getting beaten in world competition by Argentina and uh, uh, Yugoslavia and Serbia, Serbia-Montenegro and Spain. While we didn't expect it, it was to be expected in hindsight. We'd gotten sloppy. We were still sending NBA teams, but they were glorified all-star teams. And we got our comeuppance. But it hasn't really shifted things as far as how we teach the game and the talent that we are developing at younger ages. We're still capable, of, when we send our best, of winning the World Cup or the Olympics, when we put in enough time and effort. But it's still, it's, it's a challenge now. And some of that is because it's a, it's a different game with a different sized ball, different rules or different rule interpretation, different officials. So there are some elements there that explain why the margins have narrowed, why it's become more difficult for us to win. But I, I was struck by our U19 team lost. For the first time ever, France beat us in youth world basketball history. And we also lost to Turkey and finished fourth in the U19 World Cup competition. Now, this means it's all falling apart. And I certainly don't put it on the coaching for Team USA because these teams are still put together at relatively short order. But it goes to the heart of no matter what our individual talent is, we're getting beat on the global stage because in spite of kids routinely showing off ball handling skills that I don't remember being at all commonplace when I was coming up or kids with shooting range that certainly wasn't as deep or common as it is now and athletically all off the charts, we're losing to teams. And maybe this is simply the jingoism of Americans. We don't realize like the small pool that, that countries like France and Turkey are pulling from as far as talent is concerned compared to the size of the pool and the resources that we have should not be happening. Maybe at the, at the top level because those players are now coming over and playing in the NBA and they're getting honed and comfortable playing against ours while still having the requisite understanding of how to play the international game with a different size ball and different rules, et cetera, et cetera. But our U-17s and our U-19s, for those kids to be losing to France and to Turkey is a sea change in spite of all of the individual talent that I was referencing. And I've been thinking about this since I went to an AAU tournament to watch a friend's preteen son play. And I couldn't help but laugh at the money that was being raked in. It was $40 to park, $20 to get in the door. It was, and there wasn't anybody in particular that I was going to see other than my friend's son. It wasn't like there was, this was a star-studded uh, tournament. And it was a monstrous gym with, I'm going to guess, at least 20 or 30 courts, each one of them with games being played from morning until night. I did some quick, rough math, adding in the $500 to $600 entry fee for each team. 
and I figured there was somewhere around sixty thousand to seventy thousand dollars being made every day. That's a conservative, conservative estimate, and it doesn't count whatever was being made on concessions and merchandise and advertising, of which there was plenty. Now I've already spent a few years around the AAU circuit. Both of my kids played, and I spent about five years or so coaching teams from the ages of 11 to 15 or 16. It's a little different being in that atmosphere when you're there watching your own kids or coaching because you're really kind of focused in on what they're doing, at least for me. I wasn't taking in the big picture. I wasn't able to sit back and kind of take it all in. I was... I was either observing and assessing my kids play or I was steeped in getting my teams ready, coaching, thinking about rotations. Is everybody on time? Where, what do we need to practice? Offensive sets, defensive alignments, inbounds plays, scouting potential opponents. It's, you know, you're just locked into your own little sphere. So what I came to believe after going to see my friend's son play is that there's not a whole lot of teaching about how to win a game. It's not that the coaches and players aren't trying. It's that the strategy of sizing up the advantage one team has over another and executing to exploit it is missing. Teams with a size advantage weren't trying to play methodically and get it into the post. Teams with a speed advantage weren't trying to constantly push the pace Teams with neither advantage weren't trying to move and cut to create open shots by testing a defense's ability and willingness to stay disciplined and communicate. Everybody kind of played the same way, which is kind of up and down, kind of loosely every now and then we'll go in the post, but it was just, it was very fractured. There was no plan. Now, I'm not suggesting that winning, simply winning, should be the sole focus of teenage and preteen and adolescent teams, far, far from it. Or even exploiting the presence of one great player at the expense of every other kid touching the ball and getting shots. That's, this is not what I'm talking about. Most of our team scrimmages when I coached consisted of three-on-three three where they had to make five passes before they could shoot or five-on-five five full court where they were only allowed one or two dribbles. So I, it was all about team play and I'm not I suggest I do not want to present myself as being some great coach or that my way was the right way not by any stretch of the imagination but I did want them understanding and being able to recognize this is where the mismatch is this is this is the style we need to play against this type of team in order to give ourselves a chance to win and if we executed it great and we won even better. But it was all about understanding what we were trying to do, seeing the game, reading the game, understanding the game. I refused to let my teams play zone defense because we saw a lot of that. Uh, and I, so I only made them play man-to-man. And most teams we played played a 3-2 zone. They wouldn't even go 1-3-1. The, the really advanced ones would play... One three one, uh, because teaching his own offenses and getting young kids to grasp it is challenging to get them to do it the right way. And I now wish that I actually had spent some time playing zone and simply demanded that my teams apply our man-to-man principles when we did. 
I didn't have a whole lot of practice time. I didn't have as much practice time as I would like. Usually at most twice a week and then games. And so it was really just trying to get them to understand the basic principles. And more than anything, I was trying to develop develop them because I knew I was going to hand them off to high school. And to my goal ultimately was to teach them the game so that they could play it for the rest of their lives happily successfully even when their physical abilities started to wane and as i said not by any means presenting myself as a great or even good coach there there are so many men and women out there who have dedicated a lot more time to the craft than i have i've never considered making it an occupation the idea of doing it to be perfectly honest is that my dad coached me growing up and I wanted to have that same experience and connection with my kids. My dad taught me, uh, coached me in soccer. And I also love to compete, so there's that. And I wanted to share my love for the game and to teach, teach these kids, as I said, how to play it so they could enjoy doing so as long as they were physically able. Now, I was not in basketball. In soccer, I was taught the fundamentals from a very early age. Basketball... I was not. I was playing streetball. And as a result, that along with being left-handed, I had some fundamental flaws that I've spent the rest of my life correcting. And it's like any sport. Hone the fundamentals early and you can compete and enjoy the game even as your athleticism diminishes. But I also knew that doing so would coaching that is, would inform and improve my ability to write and talk about the game. Just as working as a referee did, along with having played from the age of eight or nine into my 40s. And my daughter's playing in college and still has me work with her when she's at home. So still connected, I'm still getting out on a court, still getting up some shots. My overarching goal has always been to understand the game from as many perspectives as possible in order to write and talk about it as deeply as I can. And I appreciate that all of you take the time to consider my perspective and to honor that, I've always wanted to leave you with something that you might not get someplace else as my intro to every episode promises. Now, I don't want to spend too much more time on this subject because it feels a little like navel-gazing, but... A big takeaway is that we are teaching skills at a higher level than ever, but how to mentally apply them to win a game has been lost. Young players are doing all sorts of skill work with trainers and specialized drills, but scrimmaging five on five and doing what I heard Steph Curry tell some uh, campers uh, one of these summers was like you have .5 with the ball, to make a decision, you're going to attack, you're going to pass, or you're going to shoot. Which is it? That's, that is the magic and the genius of what makes Steph great that seems to be overlooked by a vast, vast number of kids, and I would presume they're coaches. It's that he doesn't need the ball in his hand very long, split second before he's going to do something with it. It's not 
that he's crossing guys over and stepping back and doing all the stuff that he does. Yes, he does that. But he's never massaging the ball. It's if he's going to attack, he's going at you and he knows what he's creating right there. It's not um, working the defender and then I'm going to figure it out. Because he knows that the other four guys are playing off of him and he's playing off of them. The other four guys on his team, that is. And where did he get all that? He's been playing five on five since he was a kid. He was taught that by his, by his dad. Officiated tournament games are not a replacement for that. They're great money makers. And if you're trying to sell parents on why they're spending so much money for their kid to be uh, playing on a particular team, then playing in a lot of tournaments and going to a lot of places looks, it looks sexy. Looks like it's getting something done, but it's not teaching them the game. It's hard, hard to teach the game in a game, especially when multiple games are played in the same day. And there is this desire to win. The scrimmages I've witnessed are also glorified one-on-one competitions with four guys standing around watching. I mean, it's, it's... It's not so much scrimmages versus games. It's what's trying to be accomplished and who's trying to accomplish it. Devin Booker isn't the first one to take exception to being double teamed in a pickup game. He's just the biggest name to be caught on tape complaining about it. The understanding that games are not won with a dazzling play as much as doing the little things correctly, stubbornly, over and over again and not worrying about who actually takes the shot, but making sure it's the best one that can be taken. Games are won by being patient and resilient and knowing what you need to be patient about and resilient about. Relying on step-back threes, no matter how adept someone is at making them, is not a formula for success. They are a part of the game, but they're a long way from being the most important. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What I am seeing is an entire generation of kids who consider that the most important skill they can master is either a step back three or it's an array of ball handling skills like Kyrie Irving. But have you ever seen Kyrie orchestrate a game? Create easy baskets for himself or teammates? I watched Jason Kidd transform himself from an unstoppable force in transition into a half-court maestro who could live off catch-and-shoot threes and working passing angles in the half-court. Just simple but clever ways to get the ball to Dirk Nowitzki at the exact right time and place that he wanted it with a clean look. And Jay Kidd did all that after going to the finals twice and not winning and then having microfracture surgery on his knee and then getting back there with Dirk and beating the far more athletic and overall skilled Miami Heat. So 
Who is ready to be the next Jason Kidd? I'll put it like this. How many American-born, American-developed players currently in the NBA and in their 20s can manipulate a game without leaving their feet like Nikola Jokic? Or even Luka Doncic? The ones that can, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Steph Curry, are all in their mid-30s, mid to late-30s. Tyrese Halliburton is talented. His decision-making, yeah. Not so sure about that. Which brings me to Giannis Antetokounmpo and the news that he had knee surgery to clean up some sort of issue. It was minor, an outpatient procedure, something he can probably recover from in a week or two. My focus is not on the injury and whether it's going to impair him. I don't think it will anytime soon. And this actually may sound contrary to what I've been talking about, but Giannis has to go through the same evolution that I think so many of our American players have to. Yes, foreign-born, foreign-developed, I would say, but you, what's unique about him is he started playing late. He was not main early teens, and he really didn't start refining his skills until he got to the NBA. He is not the typical international player to come to the NBA. It's probably more of the typical African player coming to the NBA. Incredible athleticism, energy, effort, focus, but pretty rough when it comes to skill development. What's made him a champion and an MVP is that physical freak of, freak of nature-ness combined with what? Learning what it takes to win. This is why you always get this, or at least I get this pause when we talk about who the best player in the league is. And at various times I could make the case and have said that it's Giannis Antetokounmpo because he's a two-way player, because he plays and impacts the game as much defensively as he does offensively. But the, the hesitation is that if you look at the skills of a Joel Embiid or a Nikola Jokic or Kevin Durant, they're far more skilled than he is overall. Again, it's not that he's not skilled. It's just when we talk about the absolute best, he doesn't have everything that they have. He's been able to succeed despite not being an efficient player through sheer effort and energy and a willingness to do the dirty work like rebound, defend, and fight for position in the paint. The little things that require patience and resilience. He is a lot like Russell Westbrook in that way, at least early Russell Westbrook. And I have the same concern for him that I had for Westbrook after he had his knee scoped for the first time. His, if I'm not mistaken, was a relative minor one too. A little torn cartilage needed to be cleaned up. Here's my concern. If you take away Giannis' ability to overpower opponents with his length and speed, can he beat them the way Jokic does? With touch and footwork and vision. Now, I see in Giannis a hunger to understand and perfect those elements. More so than I ever saw Westbrook pay attention to them. But under pressure... 
Giannis still comes back to relying on that impossibly long Euro step or getting the ball up on the rim and flushing a putback before anybody else can react or get to it or simply just coming at you like a runaway train with those long steps, good handle, is able to handle it, can, can spin, can change direction. He's not going to suddenly pull up on you and hit a little floater or a mid-range jumper every now and then, but certainly not a regular part of his arsenal. He comes at you and he forces contact by doing all those things and getting the free throw line, or he gets the defender to say, it's not worth picking up a foul. I'll let him go. And at some point, the referees are going to take note, and as they do. Referees take note when a player has lost a step and now the contact isn't created by that defender trying to catch up or recover or being off balance, but it's by Giannis or Russell, and as we've already seen, LeBron, James Harden, making a move and not getting that step, being cut off. It's a very fine line, but the referees are used to seeing a guy get by them, so they get the benefit of the doubt. And then when they don't see them getting by them anymore, they no longer get that benefit of the doubt. And suddenly the free throws stop coming. James Harden got around it by finding different ways to create that contact as he was shooting. Defenders got a little smarter, and now he's challenged because he can't go by them the same way, not on a consistent basis. The first minor knee surgery for Giannis is essentially the clock being started. He is in a race now to develop a surefire way to score without taking a dribble, without having to get by his defender, without having to dunk the ball. It's why I, along with Isaiah Thomas, the diminutive guard who had the spotlight with the Boston Celtics, who I believe is doing a private workout for NBA teams, hoping to get it back into the league like John Wall, it's why that Isaiah believes that Derrick Rose could be a godsend for John Morant, and I agree. Rose was once a whirling dervish. He already had a nice float game with either hand, but most of his game depended on his explosiveness, his ability to blaze by defenders and be creative in getting the ball up on the rim with a soft enough touch that it either fell in or was there for an easy putback by a teammate. After the knee injuries prompted the Bulls to move on from him, he went to work. Jason Kidd style, taking and making shots that didn't require getting past the defender, but just catching that defender by surprise when it was going up or dropping it off the instant he saw a teammate had a step on his man. Rose has the ability and knowledge to show Ja how to make the game easier for himself, to score without having to soar through the air. It is why I get nothing out of seeing Zion Williamson healthy enough to throw down a 360 dunk. I know he can do that. He needs to evolve. With the injuries that he's already had, he needs to find ways to score where he doesn't have to utilize that blazing speed. He can still use his size. He can use his strength. but And that should be enough to create a shot for a little step back or floater with either hand but he's still enthralled with his ability to do 360s with dunking it where are the floaters 
up and under layups, his pull-up jumpers at the elbow. Now, from what I've been told, he's shown no interest in developing any of those tricks. Tricks that Blake Griffin learned along with a decent three-point shot when the injury started to pile up for him and allowed him to single-handedly drag the Detroit Pistons to a playoff berth. May not seem as uh, impressive as what he did with the Clippers in his heyday. But to me, what he did with Detroit was a true reflection of how he learned to play the game when he no longer had that freakish athleticism. I hold a special place in my heart for the physical freaks like J. Kidd and Derrick Rose and Blake who had their bodies break down and then had to reinvent themselves in order to still compete. The truly great ones figure that out before their bodies break down, creating a bigger window as an unstoppable force in the league. Well, that's where Giannis is. There's still time, but the time is definitely now. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to also visit my sponsor, Mizzen and Main. M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. It is men's fashion with the comfort of performance material. If you've seen me on TV, if you've seen me on Instagram or Twitter, anything from the show, uh, Speak, or on with Colin Cowherd, all the shirts are Mizzen and Maine. And if you use the promo code Bucher35, B-U-C-H-E-R 35, you can get $35 off your first order. Please check them out. Check out their website. Check out their catalog, mizzenandmain.com. Also wear their joggers and their shirts and their polos. They got a, an array of great clothes. They fit great. And they're super easy to take care of. Mizzenandmain.com. Thank you. As I said, in the next podcast, I will be breaking down what we've seen from Victor Wembanyama in the first couple of games. I was astonished that anybody would suggest that he's going to be a bust. But just how good is he going to be? That's what we will dive into. And what kind of player will he be? We'll dive into that too. All of it in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 